This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. Stay standing while Justin comes to read. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus... It threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Amen. Thank you, Justin. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father, yeah, Father, thank you for the reading of the Bible. Thank you that it finds good ground in our heart now. Those seeds that were read, the words we heard, go into our heart and they rest on our heart right now. And I pray now as we encourage that and we teach about that, that it just takes root. And we, we don't leave just going, well, that was a good service. We leave with roots. And God, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. You say amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you again for coming. I want them, if they will, to put verse... <clears throat> 24 on the television and I would like you to look at it a moment I've been serving God most of my whole life uh, my parents my mom was a Methodist and my dad was a CPA who started going to the Methodist church just for social reasons he got born again and from a young age since I can remember my mother and father Natural parents have just served Jesus. 
And Jesus was very much a part of our life all the time, not just Sunday. My dad and mom worked overtime to make Jesus part of a real experience day in and day out all the time. Even to the, you know, what may perceive to be silly, but it was really touching now that I'm older. My dad so brought God into the home and Jesus into the home that even when the dog was sick, he would pray for the dog. When the toilet was stopped up, he would lay hands on the toilet. When the washing machine didn't work, he would pray for the washing machine. I remember thinking, this guy's just off his rocker. Like, like he literally believes Jesus cares about a washing machine, you know? And the older I get, I realize it's only religious people that think Jesus doesn't care about it all. He cares about everything because he's, he's, he's not only the Savior of the world, the King of Kings. He's a shepherd. He's a father. cares about us. cares about everything. And I want to talk to you about some personal things in my life because this verse, as you heard Robin say, all things are possible to those who believe. And then this dad cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Let me kind of give it to you how I probably think it happened. Because this, this verse, ah, geez, I just feel my heart's just kind of full with it. He's, I just think when it comes from a dad, God, I do believe, but would you please help my unbelief? Like, I think that's the way it came out. I think it came out with tears in his eyes. I'm thinking about my own life, my own kids, tears in his eyes. Like, God, I believe, but you got to help a brother. I mean, I'm trying my best. I don't know if you've ever said that. I'm trying my best. I'm praying every prayer I know to pray. I'm doing everything I know to do. And if I'm honest, I just feel like I've been ripped off because you tell me all things are possible if I believe. And I think I'm believing, but obviously I'm not because what you say is possible doesn't feel possible. And then therefore, something in the equation must be wrong. So you just got to help me believe. Because I've got something going on that's keeping me from believing it. And so in my life with Jesus, I would love to tell you that I'm standing in front of you batting a thousand. That every prayer I've prayed has worked. But from my earthly perspective, I fall into the comma beyond the word believe that says I feel like sometimes I'm more in the right side of that sentence. I know he's big, I know he's powerful, I know he's God, I know he's coming back, I know he died for me, I know he brings healing for me, I understand that, but comma, I'm really, I'm really on the fence here with some of this stuff. Because I try as a man in my own life not to just preach to you. I mean, that's what, 30, 40 minutes a week. I literally try to live it for my wife and my children. It's easy to come here on Sunday and I'm the dude on the left side of the word believe. I'm the guy that's, I believe. And you walk away and go, man, he's just got such faith. And then as soon as church is over, comma, I'm driving to Monterey going, but God, you got to help me. you got to help my unbelief here, Jesus. I can preach to people to believe, but when it hits home, and it becomes personal. Sometimes it's not as romantic to say I believe. 
Sometimes it just hurts. Sometimes you're like, I don't know if I have enough strength to keep believing. I, and I'm just trying to be honest with you today. I mean, it's not like I'm about to go off the edge and quit loving Jesus. But I have had long conversations like, where are you? Why, why, why aren't you doing what I need you to do? I feel like sometimes you aren't even in the room with me. What, what's going on? Help me overcome. I love the fact that he does give me hope. I can overcome it. Like I don't just have to live on the side of the comma and just end. Like it does give me some sort of hope that I could overcome these things in life where I just feel like I'm at wit's end with it. Now here's what I've noticed with me personally. When it's me, I'm okay. I mean, me and God can ride in a car and have it out and talk and pray and, and I can just work it out with Jesus. But when, when that unbelief is connected to the pain of somebody else, it hurts. Because you so want it for them and you can't make it happen and it may be a wife who's going to leave you and you're going, God, I, I want to believe for my marriage but it's falling apart. It may be for a loved one who's been given a diagnosis of a disease and you're like, oh God, I don't mind praying for me, but I, I, oh God, this person I love. And, and now my unbelief, and this is the story because it starts out the father and then it ends, help my unbelief, meaning my believing is not about me, it's about my kid. I can't tell you in the 30 years I've been doing this thing we call church, um, you know, I got my own battles, and I don't mind fighting them, you know, and getting friends to pray with me. But sometimes the battle for other people is almost so much, you just go, God, when you get a phone call at 2 in the morning from an elderly woman in my church that says, my husband's dead, and you got to go to the ER, and you got to look at her husband laid out, and he's gone, and she's sobbing. To get a call from a young lady in my church that says, I've lost the baby. Could you please come to the hospital? Because we want to do a funeral for my child that was born at 21 weeks. And you look at this little baby in your hand and go, God, man, I thought you said all things are possible. If all things are possible, why am I burying a kid that wasn't born? If all things are possible, why this guy drops dead of a heart attack? If all things are possible, why did my friend commit suicide? If all things are possible, why did Matt die at 32 of pancreatic cancer? If all things are possible, why did God let my mom leave my dad? If all things are possible, then you got to tell me because I feel like you're lying. Because you tell me it's possible, but what I see says it's impossible. Because that's been my battle for 30 years with Jesus. What I read and what I see don't tend to correlate. And I thank God I've just been raised that when they don't correlate and line up, rather than running toward my feelings and going, well, middle finger to God here because I don't trust Him, I run to God and go, hey, though I don't trust you, I still, though I don't understand, I still trust you. You know, I mean, because there's a lot in this old boy I don't understand about him. But I, I reel my flesh in and go, but I trust you anyway. Well, why, 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 why? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, and I might know. But right now, I just trust him. And so I want to bring you into this story, and then I want to tell you how I have learned to overcome my unbelief. Can you imagine a daddy who all of his life 
has watched his little boy suffer and he can't do anything about it. It's one thing when it's you. Like I went to pray for a, a, a gentleman in the ho- a lady in the hospital whose husband was there and she was dying. And here was his exact words. I wish it was me that had the cancer and I could take the pain from her and I was the one that was going into eternity and not my wife. That's the level I'm talking about. The level that says I hurt so much that I would, I would trade places with them, but I can't. And then when you can't, you just go into this spiral of what if and how and can you imagine this guy who, I guess, you know, historically the boy's probably about one or two because he's a little boy and he's not yet a man in Jewish culture, so we at least assume he's under 13. So for the sake of the story, at about age two, something happens to the boy that he becomes mute and deaf, and now we've got about a decade of 10 years of a daddy desperate trying to find somebody that can do something. Doctors, religious people, Pharisees, Sadducees, anybody. And nobody can. So, you got to love this guy. Obviously, he's heard about Jesus. Because that's the story we read. He hears about Jesus. He hunts him down as any daddy would do. Man, I have a ray of hope here. And I am going to go chase this carpenter dude down because I've heard that he can heal people. And I heard that he can deliver people. So he finds where Jesus is at. This is where it gets interesting. He finds him on the hillside. He shows up with the little boy who's been convulsing and and has a devilish spirit. Shows up, except the moment in his desperation when he shows up, Jesus isn't there. Blooming Jesus is on a mountainside having a transfiguration. I miss Jesus. I show up to his friends, his disciples, and they can't do a blooming thing. Have you ever wondered now why unbelief is so powerful? Because you finally reach out to God and when you do, you feel like he's not even there. I have come to you The elders prayed for me. They have prayed. They prayed for my children. They prayed for my wife to come home. And by God, when I reached out to God, he didn't show up. And I have a record of people in my life who have reached out to God but have the testimony when I reached out, he didn't show up. And they lose faith. And they feel like something's wrong with them. And they feel like God doesn't care about them. And they feel like they don't measure up. I'm sure this daddy probably thought, come on son, we're going. Probably told mom, I'll be back later. He had great belief. Oh, sorry, Jesus isn't here. God. Hey, how about you guys cast the devil out of him? And the disciples are like, "Uh, bro, I'm sorry. Can you imagine the level of unbelief when the people you put your faith in says there's nothing I can do for you? When the doctor says, there's nothing I can do. When the counselor says, I've tried my best to save the marriage. There's nothing I can do. When the husband says, tell me what I can do so you won't leave me. There's nothing you can do. I'm out of here. I know that level of hurt. When you hear those words, there's nothing that can be done. 
I guess the daddy could have just said, well, I tried and go home. And walked off with the disciples going with a bunch of losers. I knew it was all religion anyway. They had nothing. But in some weird way, the dad is there arguing. And and what happens is an argument breaks out between religious people and the disciples on why they couldn't do something about the kid. And I think that's a lot of religion. And that's why a lot of people just don't believe today. It's because we just sit around and argue. On why somebody died, why they committed suicide, why do you think he left her and she left him, why, 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 rather than really seeing the compassion of God change something. So they're arguing, it's not answering anything that the daddy's asking for. Jesus comes off the mountain and I love only Jesus could do, what what are you guys arguing about? And then the daddy says, "Uh, I brought my boy who's demon-possessed, to have you cast a spirit out of him. But your disciples couldn't do it. Have you ever been to a level of unbelief that you start blaming God for why it's not happening? Your disciples, meaning you should have instructed them how to cast out a devil... You should have anointed him how to cast out a devil. And now I've accused God because God's helpers couldn't help me. And there's a lot of people who don't believe in God because pastors, elders, leaders couldn't do anything who represented God, but they were too busy getting money, too busy buying houses, too busy living the plush life to even remotely take time to pick up a towel and serve somebody to show them the love of Jesus. I feel like I was mad there. I don't mean to be bad. Let me, I really do. I feel like I, that little, I got angry there. I don't want I don't want to get angry. But it kind of does make me angry. How many people don't believe in God because God's kids don't even do anything? Okay, reel it back. I'm done. I'm trying to get you to a place to understand this. When this dad says, I need help, he really means it. He's reached out to Jesus, but he wasn't there. He reached out to his kids, but nothing happened. He reached out to the disciples. We can't do anything. So Jesus, I love how he just is so kind one minute and so truthful the next. Looks at his disciples. You faithless. I'm going to go Georgia Redneck on you. You sorry? Dad, blame. Following me this whole time. Can't even get it. Get over there a minute. I got something to do. Don't you know when Jesus wore them out, they probably, oh God. And then they they probably could care less about the demon kid. They're over here now going, I didn't think I did anything wrong. Did you do something wrong? Because they don't really care about the kid. They care about their ego. I just got rebuked publicly by the Son of God. So now they're over here probably doing what we all do. My ego got hurt, and now i got to take care of self. And and Jesus turns around and says to the daddy, okay, how long has this been happening to the kid? He goes, well, since he was a little boy. So can you imagine 10 years of this? And you're on the precipice of something happening. That's the excitement building in him. And I brought him to you so you could do something for him. And then watch. As soon as he felt this much hope, I'm actually talking to Jesus. He actually is taking time to talk back. 
He just rebuked the jerks that told me nothing could be done. My hope level has risen high. And then all of a sudden, with boy in hand, little boy starts going. That's the best I could do the devil, right? It says he begins to convulse and foam at the mouth and fall on the ground and roll around on the ground. So you can imagine the moment daddy has this much hope, the devil's like, oh, hell no. Kid falls down, and now every bit of hope the dad had just went boom. And can you imagine the disciples who were on an ego trip going, Oh, God, that's worse. Thank God we didn't cast it out. I don't know what I would have done with that. The kid has no clue what's going on. He's just flopping around like a tadpole out of water. The devil's having a heyday. Jesus is rebuking religious people. And the dad's just sitting there like. And he says, back up a verse. Just go up to 33, uh, 23. Go up to 22. There we are. The spirit often throws him into the fire and into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Not have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. Meaning there's no harder fight than the fight where you're fighting for someone else. Not yourself, but someone else. If you can. Boys writhing around. These kids are on an ego trip. Jesus and dad are having a moment. I love Jesus' response to the daddy. Verse 23. What do you mean? If I can, let me give you Georgia Redneck. Did you just lump me in with these fellas? That's Georgia Redneck. That's, that's, real, that's real religious right there. Georgia Redneck is, oh, no, I ain't with them. No, no, no. They call themselves my friends. Not right now. Right? I mean, he just literally drew a line in the sand of these guys. These faithless people. He just drew a line. You faith, don't, don't you lump me in with a bunch of faithless religious people. So let me help you. This is not my message, but it went off in my heart. You might need to hear it. Don't you dare lump the Son of God into the category of faithless religious people. Pastors may have failed you. Religious people may have failed you. But draw a line in the sand. He is God. He will never fail you. He will never let you down. Even if you say, well, what about the guy that committed suicide and the baby? Well, honey, he's God of eternity. They're standing in his presence right now. They win. I win. We all win. So now he says, oh, anything is possible if a person can believe. And I love the guy's comment, verse 24, which is where we've been. Oh, dude, I believe. But you got to help my unbelief because I've been hunting for you and couldn't find you. They couldn't do anything. I feel this guy's rolling on the floor. This is what I've been dealing with for 10 years. I really believe you. Otherwise, I wouldn't have come. But I need you to hook a brother up and have mercy on me. And the story is he does. So I want to take about 10 minutes and I want to tell you how Mark now, not the father, but me as a dad and a husband and a man has been able to overcome after the comma rather than get stuck at unbelief.
So where I want to take you now is, hopefully that kind of set the moment of, I want to let you know you don't have to get stuck in the word unbelief. You may unbelieve, you may have some struggles, but I want to inspire you, you can't overcome. So, I want to take you through the journey of my life and help you do that. All right, So I'm going to give you three questions that I've worked out that have helped me overcome when I don't feel like I'm overcoming. And when I say that, I'm talking about burying kids, family members, tragedies, car wrecks, drug addictions, divorces, uh, uh, tragic deaths of people, uh, addictions, all the things in my walk with Jesus that I have had to encounter. And I'm, I'm glad today that I can stand on this side of the common go, there have been moments I have felt my believing shrink, but I'm overcoming. I'm not saying I still don't have some moments, but I'm learning to overcome them. Number one question is this. Did God really say? Because anytime unbelief starts rising, it's really going to be a battle between what you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you experience versus what he's really saying. And I have no other nicer way to say it to you than that. Did he really say all things are possible or am I going to focus on them who said it wasn't possible? Am I going to focus on the kid who's rolling around? Am I going to focus on the people that are arguing? Or am I just going to go, well, if he said it, I'm going to believe it. It is the very first question that the devil throws to us in Genesis. Did God really say that to Eve? Did God really say, it's the first question he offered to Jesus, if you really are, meaning did God really call you the son? I have found that between the comma of believing and the overcoming of unbelief is this question, you have to pull yourself back to what God said. Otherwise, you are going to be an emotional wreck. And you just have to go, by God, I don't care if everything on my left hand is screaming it's not true. I'm going to reel myself into God's word and go, it is true. He still heals. Well, 92 people died. Shut up. He's still a healer. If the whole world dies of coronavirus, he's still a healer. I got to reel myself back into that. Now, I walk this out in a personal way because as a preacher, I mean, some make a lot of money, but I never got in it for money, so that ought to help you. I didn't get, I didn't get in this to get rich. Come on, somebody. I got into it because I felt called. But because I didn't get in it to get rich and drive the best of the cars and all of that stuff, I have struggled in my belief that did I do the right thing for my family because I always feel like a day late, a dollar short, and I never have enough money. And I'll never forget it, 304 Green Valley Drive, feeling broke. Robin has now had two children. It was her fault. And <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a youth pastor fresh out of seminary, so I'm passionate. I mean, I, I had one problem yet, so I'm just passionate to change the world. She has two children. We have our first house, our first two vehicles, because I finally started making 28000 a year and felt like I was a billionaire. Because I'd never made that much money. I'd never made more than $77 a week. And now I'm making like $290 a week. My Lord, it was like I'd become a meth addict seller. All of it. God, no wonder people are so rich. I just felt like over the top. And then I realized that's not a lot of money at all. 
because I'm like two kids, diapers, bras. We had girls, bras, panties, bows. Oh, Jesus. Why couldn't I have a kid where I could just the same underwear every day? <laughs> Shave the boy's head. He doesn't need to have all that stuff. But no, no, I had four children. It's like God's going, see, I want you to trust me with money. I'm like, Jesus. $290 for a haircut versus go outside, I'm going to shave it, right? I'll never forget, I was frustrated. Robin knew, I mean, probably most of my life I was frustrated about money. I'll never forget when I walked out to the front porch of 304 Green Valley Drive, I opened up the front door. <laughs> uh, this is weird. I opened up the front door, and I, to the top of my lungs, screamed, Get out of my house! Not to my wife or children. <laughs> to the devil who was tormenting me emotionally about my ability to have a good life trusting God. Get out of my house. I will never like one thing. God is my resource. God is my provider. God is Jehovah Jireh. And then on 304 Green Valley Drive, front porch, I command the blessings of God to come to me. And then I shut the door. That was 1994. I will tell you that the blessings of God came. No, I didn't become a millionaire. I learned how to trust what God really said versus what I felt. And there is nothing that can compare to that. When you begin to say what God said is my reality, not what I feel. Number two, the question is this. Do I trust God or myself? Because you'll never overcome unbelief as long as you are your best backup plan. And a lot of times we humans don't mind reaching out to God, but I got my hand in my back pocket on me. Just in case he doesn't come through, I have a backup plan called me. And sometimes our backup plan is the first plan and God's in our back pocket going, well, if I can't work it, man, I might reach out to God. And so what I had to work out is, do I trust God or myself? Let me tell you how this revelation came. Robin had Olivia as our first child. And Olivia slept in a bassinet right beside Robin. That's before Olivia got in the bed and then all other kids got in the bed with us and we just all slept like the Waltons. <laughs> but at this moment, Olivia is about a week and a half old. When she was born, she was blue and not breathing. They rushed her up to ICU uh, or some baby nursery part, NICU, and they started working on her lungs. And she was, I mean, as blue as blue could be when she was born. And all kind of stuff in her lungs. And so uh, this is my first kid. I'm freaking out. They, they, nurses run out with their, you know, in the nicest way they can. They run out, they run up, and I just follow them. And Robin's like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm following them. And I follow them up. Well, it was just junk in her lungs and got all the snot out and all the whatever was in babies, and they cleaned her out, and she was fine. She was fine, but mentally, I wasn't. Mentally, I couldn't get over. She came out not breathing. She came out not breathing. She, what if she shows she doesn't breathe? Oh, my God. And then everything on the blooming TV is your kid will die. Every article, your kid will die. SIDS, sleep them on their stomach. No, not their stomach, their back. No, not their back, their side. No, not their side, their back. No, not their back, their stomach. Oh, my God. And then it's like, oh, God, stomach, back, stomach, back. So it's just every night, an hour on the stomach. Flipper, flipper. It's like a pancake. Flipper. Okay. Flipper on the side now. She's done there. Flipper back on her back. No, she's done. Literally driving myself mentally crazy. 
with Robin going, do we do them on the back or the side or the... And then I'm thinking, what do people in the jungle do that don't have all this knowledge? <laughs> like, what do jungle people do? Are they up there going, la, 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 you know, like, do I sleep them on the side or the... And, and, and I look at jungle kids and they're out there laying down with a cheetah. And I'm like, dude, baby's going to be okay, man. Baby's going to be okay. Right? I mean, that's how tormented I was. Every night, every blooming night, I would get out of bed, walk over to the bassinet, and shake the bassinet. And Olivia would go, <laughs> and I'd go, okay, she's okay. And I'd lay back down, and Rob would go, what did you wake her up for? And I'd go, I had to see if she was breathing. Of course she's breathing. I said, no, she was too quiet. It's because she's sleeping. <laughs> They're supposed to be quiet. Was I not tormented? Every night. I'm laying in bed one night, tormented, and I'm laying there. And I heard the Lord say, you don't trust me, do you? Oh, man. God, I remember it like it was yesterday, and my daughter's 26. But I felt like those guys, when Jesus turned around, I said, you faithless. Because in that moment, I felt Jesus was in the room, and he said, Mark, you faithless son. Don't you trust me with your kid? And then I did what the daddy did. Oh, yeah, I do, but I'm still going to check on her. And I heard as clear as I'm talking to you, if you trust me, quit checking on her. Right? I'm not even joking. I am in a torment of am I going to trust God or myself? Now here comes the battle of unbelief. Is this God telling me to check her or me? Because what if I don't check her and she dies, but that was God telling me to check her? Or is that the devil telling me to check her because he doesn't want me to trust God? Right? I mean, that's exactly where I went. Okay, I'm going to go trust her. No, that's the devil telling me. But what if it was God telling me to go do it? Because she really is going to die and I need to do the flip. Oh, God, no. No, that's the devil. No, it's God. It's the devil. It's God. It's the devil. And I'm laying there going, devil God, devil God, devil God. It's funny now. There was not a blooming thing about it funny. I know now why people become addicts. Because it was tormenting to lay there every night. And I'll never forget, I heard this. If you trust me, don't get out of bed. Jesus. And I, oh gee. <laughs> I lay there. <laughs> For six hours, tormented. Am I going to trust God or me? Because I'm really good at trusting me. I can do this. I can stay tired. It's worth it. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and what if. And thank God, Mark Evans laid there and didn't get out of bed. And I fought like tooth and toenail to stay in that bed. I'm like, by God, you're not getting out of this bed. Shut up, Mark. Really, you're going to lay here and you're going to trust your father. And then the lie, what if, what if she dies and it's your fault? You'll have the guilt on you the rest of your life. See, when the daddy says, help my unbelief, he really means it. And in that moment, praise his holy name. I woke up the next morning and thought, oh God, the peace that comes when you trust him. The peace and from that day to four daughters later, I never had to get out of bed and try to check again. I just had to trust 
God. And I'll tell you what happens when you do. Jesus, there's nothing more peaceful, nothing more comforting than just to trust Him. When you have no reason, no feeling to, no circumstances, I just bloom and trust my daddy. What if it goes wrong? I trust him anyway. And the third question, Michael, come on up if you will. The third question, this is something I, I ran to get over my unbelief. Am I restless or resting? I was dealing with fear in my life, bad fear, personal fear from some things that were just mentally struggling in life. Am I a good daddy? Am I a good husband? Have I been a good father? And I was in the shower struggling with fear. Robin can tell you my story. I wrote a book about it. But literally, I would cry all night so afraid. What if I die? What if she dies? What if my kids get in a car wreck? What if she gets in a car wreck? What, what if cancer? What? Oh, God, just every day on the news stuff. I couldn't even go into hospitals and pray for people because I'd, I'd feel like I was having a panic attack. Like I would sit at the door of a hospital and go, I can't go in. I mean, I'm a pastor. i got to go pray for them. I'm going to go in. I'm going to go in. Literally, I don't know why anybody follows me today, but it's like, I don't, you might think I'm some great man of God. I'm like, dude, I, all I know is I need him. Help my unbelief. Can you, can you imagine having a pastor? Pastor, could you come to the hospital and pray for us? Yes, I will. I'll be right there, and I will use my Jesus anointing to bring some peace. I park at the hospital. I get to the front door. I'm like, I can't go in. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Literally, I'm not even joking with you. Like panic attacks to go into a hospital. And pray for someone because the machines, beep, 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 would just mentally throw me for a spiral. I know what it's like to have panic attacks. I know what it's like to feel like the world is caving in on you. And, and where's God? And I'm in a shower one morning, and this is what I said. God, man, I know I, you got to help me. I'm doing all I know to do, and this is what I heard. You're not believing me. I was in a shower. I still remember right where I was at. And I heard the Lord, you're not believing me. Remember, all things are possible if you believe. You're not believing me. I said back to him because every human loves to argue with him and try to win. Yes, I am. I am believing you. And put up Hebrews chapter 4 verse 4. I think I got to... Because in that moment in that shower... Verse 3 it is, I'm sorry. For we who believe can enter his rest. And I heard the Lord as clear as a bell. Well, Mark, if you believed, why aren't you at rest? And I was like, darn you, Lord. I was confessing, quoting, shouting, spitting, crying, and then I hear his gentle voice this time, but you're not resting. Oh, you're right. And I repented that night or that morning, and I found something that a lot of times we say we believe, but we're really restless. True belief is rest. Close your eyes if you will.
I asked Michael to come up and just play for maybe two minutes. And as he does, I want you to just let hope arise. I've been there with you, Dad, when you've prayed every prayer you could pray for your kid and nothing happens. Married couple, I've been there when you feel like your marriage is at wit's end. Mom and Dad, I've been there when you're praying every prayer for your children and nothing's working seemingly. I've been there with hard questions. And I want to end today by simply telling you you can overcome the unbelief. If you will trust Him, believe what He says is true, and just rest. So right now, I want you to get that thing, that problem, that emotion, that circumstance, that hurt, that disappointment that's causing you unbelief. And as Michael just plays like David played, I want you to let hope come back to you for your marriage, for your child, for your health, for the love of your life. lost all control I will be your peace in the storm I will give you hope when you've lost all control I will be your rest in the middle of the storm I will be your hope if you'll simply let go, I will be your rest in the middle of the storm. That's for somebody. I will be your hope. If you'll simply let it go, I will be your rest in the middle of the storm. We'll sing it one more time for you. I will be your hope if you'll simply let it go. I will be your rest in the middle of the storm. Now, whatever storm that is, you're going to come in just a moment and have communion. And when you get to that table, you got to answer these three questions if you want to go out an overcomer rather than defeated. Do I believe what he says is true? Do I trust him beyond myself? 
and I'm going to walk out being at rest rather than restless. And now it's your turn to make that choice. I did my best to encourage you with scripture and help you, but now it's your chance to respond and do it. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 